Amen. Hey, thanks team. Thanks, Lisa. Can we just celebrate one more time for all the baptisms? Man, Jesus is good. He's moving. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that. You guys can take your seat this morning. It's, it's good to be with you. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's just probably my favorite thing as a pastor ever is seeing people, besides seeing people come to a, a faith in Jesus Christ, it's, it's seeing people become baptized. So, man, I loved every bit of that. Man, I loved seeing fathers. Oh, man, I'm getting, I am a father now, so stuff hits different. You know what I'm trying to say? I, uh, I, uh, I love seeing fathers baptize their children. That is success in my, in my mind. I couldn't think of a more successful thing than, than raising somebody to know Jesus Christ. Man, that's so amazing. It's so cool to, 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 to see baptisms happen because we know as a church that when somebody's baptized, they put all of their trust, all of their life, they go all in for Jesus. They, they're going all in and saying, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what my life might look like tomorrow. Today, I know one thing's for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus. And so today, that's exactly kind of what we're talking about. And we're continuing in this series called The Church in Motion. And today is our last installment of the, um, the I guess, the division of un hindered, right? We're in the last chapter of that. And so the church in motion unhindered. Today we're going to be talking about one thing, and that is the church in motion is a church that trusts. A church in motion is the church that trusts. And I thought a lot about when I'm speaking about this, I thought a lot about motion. And a lot of times in life, we want to be going somewhere. Like I just shared, um, I'm 27. I have a kid now. Just, he's, he just turned 10 months old. And uh, I'm starting to question, like I'm starting to have some really big questions in my life. Like what am I actually standing for? What is the purpose of my life? Like I could very easily just go through my life and just complete the busy work assignments and not actually do anything that's worthwhile in my life. And so I have to ask these questions of What am I actually going to do with my, like, what is my life actually standing for? Like, what's my purpose? Because I'm about to replicate, I'm putting my, as a father, putting myself, replicating myself in somebody. And so what am I actually standing for? What do I not only value, but what are my principles in life? And we have to ask the same type of questions. Because we can so often, I can trick myself into thinking that I'm moving, but really I'm just treading water. Because when you're treading water, you're moving, and it feels like you're swimming. But you're not going anywhere. And so when we think about the church in motion, we're really thinking about just a bunch of people in motion. A bunch of people that are really moving. And so I think so oftentimes, man, we we just think a little bit like the church in motion. We talk about the church in this series a lot. And I think we miss the application that we have of our own lives. Because when we talk about Big C Church, we're talking about a group of people. But we miss that. The church is you and me. It's not really like somebody else will take care of it. Because I think sometimes when we talk about the church, we often kind of get in our mind that, oh, somebody else will serve more than I will. Somebody else will be more spiritual than I am. Somebody else will take care of it when I'm just going to ride the wave. But really, I mean, you you could do that in life. You could tread water with your life. 
But if you want a, a life that actually has mo- motion and movement and not just treading water, you need to understand one thing. We're gonna, and we're going to zero in on one principle today. One of the main ingredients to motion in your life. And this story, oh my gosh, this story is insane. This is, this is an incredible story that we're about to read today. And I just love telling stories. Like, I love it. I don't know why. I just love a good story. I think that people... More than ever, we, we connect with stories. So um, we're going to pick up in Acts 12 today. And this is a very, um, very pivotal, pivotal moment in, in church history. The church is getting persecuted. The church is uh, growing. There's a lot of growing pains. There's, there's a lot of struggles that they're facing. But today we get to pick up and, uh, yo, this story, I'm not going to lie. Like, I know, like, the Bible is filled with a lot of crazy stories, but this story is absolutely crazy. Like, it will blow your mind. I'm so excited to share with you this story, and in, in, in just studying it, it's amazing. But why don't we pray before we dive in? Jesus, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you so much that you are here in this place. Lord, have your way, have your will. We trust you today with our entire lives. And God, for those who are here today and are thinking, you know what? I, there's something that I'm still holding back from Jesus. There's something I'm still holding back from you, Lord. I pray for that person right now that they would entirely with their entire lives trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Speak now in the name of God. And you're going pray. Amen. Let's read the story. Acts 12. It was about this time that King Herod, and this is King Herod Agrippa, who's the grandson of King Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them. So basically, Agrippa, he was known for, for literally torturing people for entertainment. Like, that was like his thing, right? So, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this met the approval of the Jews, that this would give him a political clout, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unlimited unleavened bread. He had a, he had an audience basically is what this is. He had an audience of Jews and he's about to entertain these, he's about to gain so much fame and and clout by what he's about to do, right? Verse four says, after arresting him, he put him, Peter, in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. What's four times four? Okay. So here he, he was, Guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. How many soldiers? Okay, good. Herod intended to bring him out for the public trial after the Passover. So here's my main point. If you don't get anything from today, here's what I want you to grab. This is it. Throw it up on the screen. Trust God's character when you can't see the end of the story. That's the main point. If you're taking notes, put that down. Trust God's character when you can't see the end of the story. Now, why do you say, Matt, trust God's character? Can't we just trust God? Yeah, you can't just trust God. But when you do trust God, you're actually trusting in God's character. You're actually trusting in the consistency of who he is, his faithfulness, that he, that he never changes, that he knows all things, that he doesn't move, that he is the same yesterday, t- today, and forever. That's God's character. And we're going to actually dive into what it is and what Peter believed God's character to be. But today, I want you to trust God's character when you can't see the end of the story. And, and honestly, why does that have to do with the church in motion? Because the number one killer of momentum in your life, the number one killer of movement in your life is trying to take control 
instead of giving control to God. I know when, things, when I should be baptized. Not you, God. I love those two stories that happened today. I know what's best for my life. Not you, God. Trust God's character when I can't see the end of the story. And that's, a, that's something that we can hope in. Verse 5, let's continue in the story. So Peter was kept in prison. How many guards were guarding him? Love? Oh, wow, you guys are great. How, uh, 16 people were guarding him. But the church, I love this, but the church was earnestly praying for him. And I love that because James in verse 2 was just killed. But they still had faith to believe that Peter was not going to get killed. They were praying earnestly for Peter. So that the night before, verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, this is, this is incredible. Peter was, wait, I don't, wait, the night before Herod was bringing him to trial, Peter was pacing anxiously. Wait, that's not what this, what does that say right there? He was, what? The night before he was about to die, he was doing what? Okay, um, I don't think there's enough melatonin in all of Rite Aid to get me to sleep the night before I'm about to be put on trial. What? He was, what? He was sleeping the night before he was about to get tortured and killed for entertainment? He was, what? That's incredible. He was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood at the guard at the, at, stood guard at the entrance. He was sleeping? That's incre- That's crazy. Why was he sleeping? And here's my first point. Here's my first point. Trust God's timing. He was asleep because he knew God's character and he trusted God's timing. He didn't know the end of the story, but he knew that he could trust the character of God even when he couldn't see the end of the story. And he can trust the timing of God. He trusted God's timing and he slept. I almost called this point sleep on it, but that was like a little out there. So uh, I didn't. So like, tr- like sleep on it. Literally, he rested in God's timing. And I love that because younger Peter would have just, he probably would have been smacking people with his chains. He, you know, younger Peter sliced off the guard's ear with a sword when Jesus was being captured. He told Jesus earlier that he was like, Jesus, you're not going to die. I'm going to defend you. Like, that was Peter. He was literally known for just speaking before he thought through things that he was going to say. Younger Peter would have been like, man, I'm about to figure my way out of this. I'm about to do something to get out of this situation But when we trust in God's timing, it's not on us. Because so many times in life, we move so much. We try to grab a hold of our life. We try to take control of our life. We try to to put ourselves in the driver's seat. I hate that bumper sticker, like, God is my co-pilot. That's just theologically incorrect. Like, God should never be your co-pilot, you driving the car. Like, God's the one driving the car. Take the back seat, really. Like, come on now. Like, trust God's timing. We oftentimes want to be like, God, get out of the driver's seat, and I want to put myself in it. Because I think, God, I think I know better than you. But Peter said, no, 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 no. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to trust God's timing. And so many times in our lives, like, we, in this culture, it's like, New, it's like the little brother of New York City, Philadelphia, right? right? Like it's, it's just always moving. You're always 
time is, is so precious. Like we're just always grabbing for more, try to do more in less time. But really what we should be doing is sleeping on it, trusting the timing of God. What are you doing in your life right now that you're not trusting in God's timing? What are you doing in your life right now that you're not trusting in God's timing? Because we oftentimes try to work, talk, figure, blame, play the victim, Google our way out of it. Sometimes we go to Google before we even go to, to God, actually, <laughs> like to be real. We, I mean, I try to worry my way out of it. I try to get anxious and somehow figure my way out of it with anxiety, which never, ever works. Yeah, I mean, come on now. Peter's sitting in that, in that jail cell and he's sleeping, but he's trusting the character of God. Peter knew this verse. Um, I'm going to read this verse from Exodus. And this is a verse that actually God he, he, um, he called, he like basically called himself this, right? So this, the context of this verse is God, he's, he's, he's talking to Moses and he's describing himself. So could you you throw that verse on the screen? So Exodus 34, 6b, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible of like, like people, like it's quoted, I think over 20 times in different sections of the Bible, um, because it was so important. Because this is God literally describing his own character. This is God describing himself. And it says this. He's talking to Moses. He says, the Lord, Lord. And this is, again, God speaking about himself. He's saying his actual name there. Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Um, you were like probably, okay, Matt, that was really cool until that last part hit. That was real weird. What the heck does that mean? Okay, that's fair question, right? So basically what that is, you know, a lot of people apply generational curses, which is something I don't have the time to talk about today, to this verse. Really, um, it might be talking about that, but really what God is saying with the He's really saying, I'm a lot more merciful than I am punishing. Basically, he's saying, like, maintaining love to thousands versus punishing to only three or four generations. He's like, I'm a lot more loving than I am punishing. And so, basically, the main thrust of God saying that about himself, and even, like, like the third and fourth generation thing, the whole thing, that's Genesis, or that's Exodus 20, verse 5. There's qualifications for what that actually means. If, if you know, I'm just trying to give you that flyby. Maybe you can take a, make a note or something and look at it later. But basically what he's trying to say here is that I'm a lot more loving than I am punishing, but I'm still fair. And I'm still going to not leave the guilty unpunished, but I'm more than that. I'm loving. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining my love to the thousands. And so he Peter sitting in prison, this is the verse probably that he's thinking in his mind. He's thinking, okay, I'm trusting the character of God, even though I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know the end of the story, but I'm trusting that. I'm trusting that God is faithful. I'm trusting that God has everything in his hands. I'm trusting that, that he's abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains his love to me right now. Even if it doesn't mean that I get out of this situation, I know that he's still faithful. And he didn't allow James to get out of the situation. He, James is dead, but I know that even if my life ends tomorrow morning, man, I still know God's faithful. I still can rest and trust in God's character. Um, let's continue with the story. Acts 12, 7 through 9, it says this. Suddenly, 
an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. The chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put your clothes, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And he's not, Peter is not hesitating. <laughs> he's not asking any questions. He's like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Um, if you actually read what an angel looks like in scripture, it's actually really freaky. But uh, it says, verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. Oh, that, the, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And see, so here's the deal. Last week we looked at, um, we looked at a passage where, Peter's having a vision, and he literally tells God, no. Like, God, no, I don't think you're, he's just saying no. Like, the thing about the whole eating thing, no. And he's learning. He learned. Look, he's, he's growing. We can appreciate that. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to say yes this time. And here's the, here's the reality. He didn't know the end of the story either. He was just like, I don't even know if this is real, but I'm just going to go with what's next. I'm just going to obey the next step. I don't know the end but I'm going to obey the next. And here's my second point. Obey in the next when you don't see the rest. Obey in the, the next step when you don't see the rest. And I think so many times, like, we just want to see the end of the story and then start obeying. We want to see the effect of our obedience before we start obeying. When that's not the reality or the order of what is actually ever should happen in our lives. Because here, obey in the next when we don't see the rest. And Peter, he understood this. He didn't even literally know he was awake. Like, he didn't know anything of what was going on. He just obeyed. He just obeyed in the next. I, and I, I, like, I, I feel bad for Peter because I just need a minute sometimes when I wake up. I just need a minute. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just need a second to wake up. My wife, Mary, I love you, but you try to talk full-fledged conversations, and I just woke up literally 30 seconds ago. I can't handle that, okay? Is anybody like me, and you just can't? Yeah, I need a minute. Yes, thank you. I need a minute. I need a minute. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, Peter's probably a little, I don't know what, the, what feelings Peter's feeling right now, but he's probably a little uh, confused, groggy. I don't know what it is, but he, he just did the next thing. He just did the next thing. He just did the next thing. And there's two people, two types of people in this room. There's the people who, when you use Google Maps, you, um, you look at the details. You want to see the whole, you zoom out, and you want to see the whole thing, where you're going. You're going to take 78, and then you're going to hit the turnpike, and you're going you know, to see the whole, you, you want to see the whole picture. And then there's the people in the room like me who, who just want to see the next turn. Right? I just want to see the next turn. Uh, I know in 0.9 miles I'm about to make a left, right? That's all I really need to know. Uh, and then, then there's also, like, I turn the sound off and I just miss the turn anyway. I'll just make the next, the next left, right? <laughs> so whatever. Um, but, but there's those people who zoom out and they want to see the whole picture. They want to see the end goal and the beginning at the same time. And then there's the, the next step people. And that's what we really should be. I know in terms of GPS, that's one thing. But in our lives, it's, it's really just the next step. I just need to know the next step. I just need to know the next step of obedience. I just need to know the next step. I don't have to know the rest. I just have to know the next. And so, and last week, I love Theo, man, you brought the word last week. I love, I love what you had to say. I was seriously blessed by that. And you really made a distinction of like um, obeying God. And disobeying God. And I love that. That spoke to me. And I was, you know, pondering that this week and thinking about that. And I really came to the conclusion that um, I can be obeying God in one area of my life and disobeying in a different area of my life. Because 
um, so many times it's easy to obey God where I am noticed, where I am using my gift. It's easy to obey God where in your life you're, you're, you're out in the open, but it's hard to obey God when you don't see the effect of it. It's easier to not smile at that person. It's easier to talk trash about that person behind their back. It's easier to just hold that grudge. It's easier to to not give up that thing that you know you should give up because it's taking away time from you and your family. It's easier to just do that because you can't see the end goal, and it'll probably work out in the end. Here's the question I want to ask you. You know, you might be saying, like, Matt, I'm not disobeying God. I'm not disobeying God in any area of my life. Uh, Okay, let me ask you this question. What area are you saying in your life, that's okay, God understands? What's that area in your life? It's okay. God, he sees my heart. Even though I'm doing this, and absolutely, if I think about it, I'm definitely disobeying God. But what is the area of your life that you're saying, I think God is, he sees my heart. He knows me. He knows, he knows what's really going on in my life. He sees me. Because when you're okay with compromise in one area of your life, you will be okay with compromise in a lot more areas of your life. I, I challenge you today, root out the small compromise in your life before it turns into a big compromise. Because, of course, we're not going to be perfect, and I'm not challenging you to be a perfect person here. That's just unrealistic in many different ways. But you can root out the things that you have control of. You can obey God in the next step, even if you can't see the rest of it, because it's easier to serve God. This is really profound. It's easy to serve God when it's easy. <laughs> it's really easy to serve God when it's easy. And actually, I feel like it's easier to, to serve God even when it's difficult. Like, it's not hard to smile at that person. It's not hard to say something good instead of saying something bad. It's not hard to not engage in that conversation that you know you shouldn't be a part of. It's not hard to do things that align yourself with, the diso- with disobedience or with compromise in your life. What is that thing that you, that you are like, making excuses for? And here's the reality. Behind that thing is your view of God. Behind that obedience or your disobedience is actually your view of God. And this is kind of getting a little deep here, but you might actually see God in a way that you shouldn't be seeing him because if you backtrack, it, the actions that you're doing might actually apply to the way that you're seeing God. Like, let me give you an example. If I'm just, ign- just following God in every area of my life, but you don't know what happens at my home, and I'm being, crazy example, just abusive, right, to, to my family. Obviously, that would never happen, and, and I think that's horrible. But you would never know, right? But if I'm here on the stage and I'm, you know, I'm preaching and I'm, you know, leading worship, all this stuff. But on, on the, behind the scenes, I'm living the second life. In reality, my thing is, I probably view God in a way that is, God will take care of my mess up and my, my lack and God will see my anger and he will take care of my family even when I'm not doing my job. Really, obedience is in your hands. Like a lot is in God's hands, but obedience is actually in your hands. And honestly, if you are not obeying God in, in one area of your life, you know, the abuse example, that's, that's, that's a big deal. 
But let's scale it back a little bit. If you are not obeying God in this area of your life, then God's going to only be able to bless like half of you, right? Because you're over here. I'm praising God. I'm worshiping God. I'm following Jesus. I'm reading my Bible. But in here, you're somebody totally different. God can't bless a, a, a hypocrite. God can't bless that. And, and in reality, look at your life, look at that, that compromise, and back up. And say like, okay, how am I viewing God because of what I'm doing? There's a hidden view of God in your, in your behavior. Um, and I know that the tectonic shift in my life, I shared this on a Wednesday night at youth group. I'm a youth pastor as well. But it, I shared like a tectonic shift is something that happens in the earth's crust. You don't feel it really until there's an earthquake. And the tectonic shift really that happens in my life, the slow slide that I don't even realize is happening, is that I begin to see God as a taskmaster instead of a father. And I begin to see God as someone who's checking the boxes and making sure I'm doing, reading my Bible and praying and, and doing this and doing that and all that stuff. And then I, I begin to just do these things and check the same boxes off. Because I think that's how God is seeing me until there's an earthquake and I realize, God, man, that's not you. That's not you. You're not a taskmaster. You're not waiting with a, with a checklist and a pen. You're, you're waiting with open arms. Today, you get to obey the God who's just waiting with open arms. He just wants you to obey in the next. He doesn't care about, uh, about like what it might do in your life or what it might separate or what it might actually shift in your life. What is that tectonic shift in your life? The thing that you don't realize is happening until, it, until an earthquake happens. What is that thing in your life? And, and Peter, he's taking the next step in, of obedience. Let's head back to the story. Acts 12, 10, and 11. And again, he's, he, Peter's not even sure if he's in a dream. He's not even sure if this is real. He says, uh, in verse 10, it says, They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Because here in, the, in reality, he was never told what was going to happen, but he just took the next step. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't even know if it was real, but he just took the next step. And because he knew the character of God, and he trusted the character of God when he didn't see the end of the story. And later on, I love this verse, it says this, Peter later, he wrote these words in 1 Peter um, 1.14, and I, I swear it was about this, probably he was thinking about this in the back of his mind. It says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Peter's like, I used to be young. I used to slice people's ears off. I used to just do my own thing and, and work and figure it out and just try to figure out the whole story at the same time. But now I know to take the next step when I don't know the rest. Take the next when you don't know the rest. Take the next step when you don't know the rest. He knew that the reward of obeying God didn't look like anything that he could imagine. But he just trusted in the next step. And let's go back to the story, 12 through 16. When this had dawned on him, when he figured out he was, this was a real situation, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. 
And we read about this in the beginning of the passage too. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Here's here's my third and final point. Make your will God's will. Make your will God's will. Worship team. Make your will God's will. So let me describe what's happening here. He said he had, the church had the faith to pray. They had no idea, though, that it would turn out the way that it, was, that it did. They had no idea that it was, that it was going to look like that. They were probably praying that, you know, the lion's mouth tomorrow gets shut up, that somebody does something and Peter is not executed. They were not—I don't know what they were praying. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what they weren't expecting was Peter at the door. They were not expecting— the will of God to look like that. So here's my challenge to you. Make your will God's will. When we pray, we align ourselves with God. We align our hearts with God. We say, God, I trust you. I trust your character. I trust what you have. I trust who you are. I'm aligning myself, my desires with your desires. And it says this in, in 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything... According to his will, he hears us. If we ask or anything according to his will, he hears us. His will. Not our will. His will. And so they, this church was saying, I seen what happened to James. He didn't make it. But I'm here and I'm praying for Peter. And I don't know if he's going to make it or not, but I'm still praying for Peter. I'm still earnestly seeking and, and, and praying and, and interceding for Peter. And that's the, that's the heart of the church that prays. And church, that is, should be your heart as well. God, I don't want anything to happen that's, of, that's not of my will. But Lord, allow my heart to be aligned with yours. Allow my ways to be aligned with yours. And it says this even, I mean, I mean Jesus got this. He understood this. He prayed this in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke twenty two forty two. 42. It says this, Father, if you're willing... Take this cup from me. Take, don't allow me to go to the cross. I know that's the plan. I know that's your will. But take it from me if you're willing. But again, it's not my will, but yours. What are you praying today that might be more your will than God's? I want, I'm challenging you to change your prayer to God, your will be done in my life. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know for a fact what's going to happen. And it might be Peter showing up at the door in the middle of the night. And I'm okay with that. It might be something totally different than what I'm expecting. But I'm okay with that. And it might also be James. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because I trust your character when I don't see the end of the story. Can you say that today? Like in your own, I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but say that in your own heart, whatever that looks like for you. God, I trust your character when I don't see the end of fill in the blank. When I don't see the end of my grief. When I don't see the end of my anxiety. When I don't see the end of this situation that, that I have seemingly no control over. When I don't see the end of 
my boss at work, you know, I don't know what, I feel like, you know, whatever. I don't know what what that might be for you. When I don't see, I trust your character. I've served the best boss in the world, Jesus Christ. And then the second best, Paul Kemper. (laughs) He's probably watching right now. Um, That's why I said, no, I'm kidding. Trust God's character when we don't see the end of the story. Trust God's character when you don't see the end of the story. Trust God's character when you don't see the end of the story. What is this story for you? And it might be your entire life. But for many of us right now, it's the situation that's really on your heart. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's your, I don't, I don't, I don't want to start filling in the blanks again because I'll just go back down the weird trail that I was on. Um, whatever that is for you, what is the end of your story? And more than that, what can you do today to decide to trust the character of God? This song is amazing. It's, it's like a playoff of it as well. It's, it, it is the song it as well, but it's kind of has some verses and choruses added in. And um, I used to not really like this song it as well. Not the Bethel version where we're going to sing I really like this song, but I used to not like that song because um, I didn't believe it when I sang it because I was like, it's not well. Like I have this going on in my life. I have this situation. I have this circumstance. There's so much going on that's wrong in my life. It can't be well. It's not well. I'm not going to sing this song. But here's the actual song, what it's really about. It's saying, you know what? There's a lot going on in my life, good and bad. But it is well is saying, I trust the one who holds my entire life. I trust the one who wrote my story. I trust the one that even though I don't see it right now. I don't see the end of the story. I trust the one who holds it all. And for that, it is well means it is well on a deeper level. Like up here in my life, it doesn't look, it doesn't look well. But in my soul, in my soul, I trust the God who's in control. In my soul, can you say that like in your heart? Can you trust the God who's in control? Can you trust the one who wrote your story and he continues to write your story? Can you trust the one who has everything in in, in his hands? It is well with my soul. It is well in a level that is beyond, deeper than surface level. It is well in a level that's beyond just my circumstances, beyond my pain. It's well in a deep way today. As we sing this song, I just want you to respond however you want today, whether that's sitting, whether that's standing, whatever you want to do, I just want you to respond to God however you want. But here's my challenge to you. Can you say it is well in your own heart, even when it doesn't look well in your life? Jesus, I just thank you so much that you're faithful, that you're abounding in love, God, that you have everything in control. God, and also I'm, fa- I'm thankful that you don't let the guilty go unpunished. And I'm thankful that even when we don't see the end of the story and there's situations and things in our life that, that don't look good, I'm thankful that you have everything in, in your hands. And even as we're in the middle of our story right now, God, I I trust, we trust you, the one who wrote it all, 
who sees the end of the story when we don't see the end of the story. We trust your character today, even when we don't see the end of the story. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good, for having this in your hands. And we as a church, as a, as a body of believers, we say it is well because you're in control. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing this song together.